God's Word. We are in Philippians chapter 1. Also want to just mention, as I think was announced, and if you don't have a place to go to Thanksgiving, please, yes, you do have a place. The sign-up is in the back. It's at Andrew and Lena's house. A wonderful, hospitable couple. Where are they? Where are you? There they are, right there. There's, there's Andrew. And uh, uh, that they'll be having Thanksgiving at their house. Information's in the bulletin. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We're going chapter by chapter through the book of Philippians at this time. I'm just going to set my watch. Okay. Again, verse 27 of chapter 1. We've been using this as a springboard the last few times in Philippians. It says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now go down to chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery. So it's this what the translators use, uh, you, uh, the term that they chose. But what it means is he didn't consider it something to be grasped onto, like a robber, that they grasp things. He did not consider it something to be grasped onto, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Father, thank you in Jesus' name that we can be here. And Lord, worship you with song and now worship you even as you give us understanding about what we're reading. We want to read in such a way that it causes us to worship you. I know I do. I know I speak for so many in here. We want to read it. We want to get it. We want to worship you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So again, verse 27 of chapter 1 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You, can, you could translate that in another way. You could say, above all else, no matter what, whatever you do, behave in such a way that it it, it's worthy a good example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I tell my children, listen, when you go to that party, I know they're older now, but 
If you go to that party, make sure your behavior is an outstanding example of the Cole family. And this is what Paul is saying, a similar thing. Whatever you do, make sure your behavior is an outstanding example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is hardly a more important question that could be answered in this world. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ that I need to behave in such a way that I'm behaving worthy of that gospel? Well, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus on the the cross covered with blood, gasping for breath, no clothes and crying out, my God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? And in doing all that, he did it in your place. You may deserve that for our sins against God. Bible says at one point or other, we, we cast God behind our back. That's what the Bible says. That you have done that. I've done that. We've known what God's word says. We cast it behind our back, which deserves judgment. Jesus suffered an agonizing death, a judgment on your behalf. Three days later, he rose from the dead and then he offers you as a free gift the benefits of everything he did for you, which you can receive simply by saying, yes, Lord, I'll take it. I'm done with my life being about me. I want it to be about you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. A free gift of being a, becoming a beneficiary of that, that suffering, bleeding, gasping for breath Savior on the, on the cross. So what Paul is saying here in verse 27 when he says, only let your gospel be worthy, rather, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's saying, the Son of God was slaughtered for you. Keep that in mind when you're making choices about how you behave. And so then after saying that, he spends the last, the next 16 verses describing what that behavior actually looks like. How do you behave? He says, Paul says in verse 27, behave in such a way that you understand and you get it, that the Son of God was slaughtered for you. So the the next 16 verses are about that. Now, the last two messages I gave in Philippians uh, were, uh, I taught from verses 27 of chapter one, all the way to, I say all the way, five verses to verse two of chapter two, which describe those verses about how to behave when you get it, you get it. The Son of God was slaughtered for you. So we arrived this morning in verse 3. Verse 3 says this. 
Read it with me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let's stop there. What is selfish ambition? You know very well what it is. It's looking out for number one. And who's number one? Raise your hand. That's selfish ambition. The Bible says in Galatians 5, we're full of it. We got to deal with it. Where our life is all about looking for number one. If I have selfish ambition, the thing that motivates me throughout the day is whatever's best for me. When there's a conflict between whatever's best for me and whatever's best for you, you get bumped out of the way. That's selfish ambition. Again, verse three says, let nothing be done. If you get that Jesus Christ was slaughtered for you on the cross, you will put aside selfish ambition. And then it says in verse three, and you'll also get rid of Conceit. Conceit. To be conceited means when you look down upon another person. You consider yourselves above them. Your interests are more important than theirs. You consider yourself better than them. So let's continue in verse 3. It says, but in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem others better than himself. So it says, if you get it, if you get it that the Son of God was slaughtered for you, you will set aside your selfish ambition. You will set aside that which is in you, which considers yourself above others, and you will replace it with Lowliness. Lowliness. Now, you've heard me say it before if you've been around. There are only two adjectives that Jesus Christ describes himself with in the New Testament. Number one is, ah, a little louder. Lowly, and the second one is gentle. Two words, only two words he describes himself with. Lowly and gentle. It says, here you are told to set aside your selfish ambition and your conceit and put on lowliness. Lowliness does not mean you have a poor opinion of yourself. The Bible says that if you have received Jesus Christ into your life, you're a son, you're a daughter of the king, of the universe. That's not a poor opinion of yourself. That's a very high view of self. Christianity, in Christianity we have a very high view of redeemed man. But lowliness does not mean, again, it doesn't mean you have a low view of yourself, but it does mean this, that instead of looking down on people, including people who do not have Jesus, that's what a conceited person does, you look up to them in the sense that you consider their interests 
above yours. That is how you behave when you get it, that Jesus Christ was slaughtered for your sins. Because he got death, you get life. And therefore, you set aside your own interests and you look up to people. and prioritize their interests over you. Um, it, 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 it then, uh, Philippians uh, chapter two, uh, verse three, again, it continues and it, it says at the end, the last phrase, let each esteem others better than himself. And now that is one extraordinary statement. We try to slow down here at Calvary Chapel when we read the Bible. It says, Consider others better than yourself. It says you should believe that others, including those who do not have Jesus Christ, better than you. That's what it says. Don't kill the messenger. They killed Jesus when he started teaching this type of stuff. He was the messenger. It says when you really get it, that the Lamb of God was, was slaughtered for you, you will look at that other person around you and you will actually believe they're better than you. How do, now, so if this sounds, if this sounds too crazy to be true, let's consider the Apostle Paul who wrote Philippians. Okay. And when he wrote to the Corinthians in about AD 55, about, what is that, 32 years after Jesus died? Or is that 22 years after Jesus died? This is what he told the church in Corinth. He said, I am the least of the apostles. Now, we know there's probably at least 13 apostles. Judas was replaced. There's probably a few more other than... Uh, uh, other than that, I personally believe the, an apostle was a person sent by Jesus to establish the, the first church. I don't believe that term should be used of a human being anymore. An apostle. And here we go. Can we have that again, John? I am the least of the apostles. Now, seven years later, about seven years later, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, this is what he says. I am the very least of all God's people. He, he went from saying, I'm the least of kind of the best guys to saying, I'm the very least of all God's people. Your translation will say of the saints, but in the Bible, a saint just means any person who believes in Jesus Christ. After this, he wrote another letter to Timothy, and in Timothy, he says this, I'm the biggest sinner of all, 1 Timothy 1.15. Your translation said, I am the chief of sinners. So how does a guy go from thinking, well, I'm the least of the apostles, to I'm the least of all the people who believe in Jesus, to I'm the worst sinner of all. In other words, everyone else is better than me. In other words, Philippians 2, uh, 2 verse 3 
consider other, others better than yourselves. He actually does. And this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is the guy who uh, the Bible says that uh, he, he was beaten three times by rods. He was stoned, the Bible says. He said at one point that he was hungry and homeless and cold in his journeys to tell people about Jesus Christ. And he's saying that everybody else in the world, he's saying, is better than him. You say, well, Pastor Steve, consider others better than me. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't believe that about others. I mean, there's some pretty nasty people around me. I'm in Boston. I mean, what are you, from Nashville or something? I mean, I'm in Boston. There's some nasty people around me. I just do not think that they're better than me. I have to be honest in any way that seems wrong to me with all these evil people around the world doing all these terrible things. I'm supposed to consider them better than me. I'm not that bad. You know, one of the things that I've been focusing a lot in my messages for the past year is on the subject of seeking God. Particularly on Tuesday nights. By the way, I invite all of you to our Tuesday night service. I teach through the Bible on Tuesday nights. We're in the Old Testament, in the book of Esther. But I've been focusing a lot on seeking God. I gave a message earlier this year on, in Sunday morning on 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9 in which King David tells his son Solomon, listen, if you're going to succeed with God, you need to do three things. Number one, you need to know God. Number two, you need to serve God. Number three, you need to seek God. David dies. Solomon's the sole king. He got to know God, all about God. In fact, he wrote three books of the Bible. He served God in many ways, but he stopped seeking God. What happened? The man started, after a while, sacrificing his own children to foreign gods because he stopped seeking God. And listen, it's not only Solomon. It's been my observation in the body of Christ in the United States of America, there's no longer an emphasis on seeking God. Why? My personal opinion and observation is because it just takes a lot more effort. You know, reading the Bible after a while, when you get the hang of it, you can do it pretty effortlessly. Serving, coming to church, being an usher, teaching Sunday school. You can just get used to it pretty effortlessly. That's never the case with seeking God. And we use grace, we use the doctrine of grace to excuse us from making the effort to seek the Lord.
what is seeking the Lord? This may be an oversimplification, but in my opinion, it's just begging God for answers. Begging. Lord, I feel so dry and distant from you. I need your joy, Lord. You promise me in your word that I can have your joy, Lord. And begging, begging, begging for that joy. Uh, Lord, Lord, I hate this guy at work. I, I need your love, Lord. You promise me in your word love. I don't have any of it. Where is it, Lord? Where, oh, where is it? Lord, I feel you're never happy with me. I want to believe your love, that you love me the way the Bible says that you love me. Please, Lord, show me your love. And now let's apply Philippians 2, verse 3. Lord, your word says I need to consider others better than myself that seems crazy, Lord. Show me, Lord. Show me that. Show me that others are better than me. And if you pray along those lines, I would say within a few months of saying, God, just show me, show me that others are better than me. Here's what I think will happen. After three months, you will be telling God to stop. It will be so painful. You will be telling, you, you, you stop. I cannot take this anymore because he will be showing you things about your life that you never saw before, ever. Things in your mind, uh, just things, uh, attitudes that you have towards other people or other races or, or, or people with or without money and, and, and you will be telling him to stop. Or, 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 or in addition to that, he may show you his glory. You know, Isaiah, who is a very holy man, he wrote the book of Isaiah. It says in Isaiah chapter six, then that when he saw God, he said, I am in, done, I'm done, I'm ruined. I've seen a holy God. Well, God will do the same thing with you. You pray, you pray to God, I wanna see that other people are better than me. He will show you him. And you'll get a new view of you. And you will start considering others better than yourself. And you'll have a testimony, a progression of, 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 of the Apostle Paul. And you'll be crying out, I, I'm the chief. I'm the worst. I have no business being conceited I, 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 or looking down upon others. I need to look up at others. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 says, consider others better than yourself. That's what a person... That's what you believe, if you get it, that the Son of God was slaughtered for you. That's what, when you, Philippians 1.27, when your conduct is consistent with what was done for you on the cross, when you're acting worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you consider others better than yourself. So one reaction I get to this type of thing is what you're asking me to do here is to feel totally miserable about myself all the time. And actually what happens is precisely the opposite. Actually what happens is that you're seeking hard after God. That you'll be filled with joy knowing 
that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he was slaughtered so none of that sin that you're realizing that you have will ever be counted against you because the blood of Jesus is that precious and it will create a a, a thanksgiving in you, a worship in you, and a happiness for all that God has done in your life. And you'll stay humble because you know you're the least of everyone You're the least worthy of anyone to have God do, Jesus Christ do, what he did for you. He was slaughtered for you. Let's go to verse four. Verse four says, again, all this is the kind of behavior that when we get it, this is who we are. Verse four, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's kind of saying the same thing, right? I will tell you this, that in, in, in this verse, that word only, it says, let each of you look out not only for your own interests. I will tell you this, that word only is not in the original language. It's not in the Greek. It's not there. I'm grateful for the translators, but I find myself being angry with them every week. <laughs> By that, the Lord is showing me my wicked heart. This is a little translation right here. Do I have it, John? Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what it says. That, that's what the, this verse actually uh, says. Now, if you're thinking that can't possibly be the right way of translating your ver- this verse, well, there's another verse um, that says the same thing, and this is in the NIV here, but the New King James says the same thing. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. It actually says it. And when you get that the Lamb of God was slaughtered for you, this is the person you are. This is the person you are, that you become. Doesn't happen overnight, but but again, and and again, so it, it doesn't mean that you've been called to a life in which you don't care, take care of yourself. Jesus says the second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It is appropriate, right, and spiritual thing to love yourself, to receive and enjoy the great blessing that God pours into your life. And he will if you seek him first. But what these verses are saying is that the preoccupation of your life is not you. It's not you. It's first God, and, and when your preoccupation is on God, your eyes are off you and onto the Lord and others. That's what this verse means when it says, verse four, let each of you look out, look out not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. That's how you believe. That's how you behave, rather, when you get it when you conduct yourself worthy of the gospel of Christ, when you know the Son of God was slaughtered for you, this is the man that you become. Let's continue in verse five. Verse five says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, 
being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And again, that means did not consider it something to be held onto. I believe that's what the NIV says, or grasped onto. So he's, he's equal with God. He didn't say, well, now I have to stay equal with uh, my father God. I, I'm sticking around here. No, he didn't do that, but rather, verse seven, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant, meaning a servant or a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now in verse five, it says someone who gets it, they get that the lamb of God was slaughtered. If you get that the lamb of God is slaughtered for you, this mind will be in you. Verse five says, this mind will be in you. And then it goes on to describe the mind of Christ. Verse six says that he was equal with God, but he didn't hold on to it. But he came down, verse seven, he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant coming in the likeness of men. So what hinders you? What hinders you? I have a question for you. Let's do business with your heart, our hearts. That's why we come here. We don't just come here to study the Bible. We come here to have an encounter with God. What prevents you from considering others better than you? It's your pride. It's your pride. It's my pride. The thought of choosing to be below other people. No, thank you. I ain't doing that. It's my pride. The disciples, Jesus' disciples, the apostles, had a habit of arguing each other about who was the best. That's what they did. And I'm so glad it says that because that's who I am. So there's hope for me. But they had this habit. They, they argued about who is the best. And Jesus responded to them. And he said what? You're, you're familiar with these verses. He said, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man, and that is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. That's Matthew 20, verses 28 and 29. 
So Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible calls him in the book of Isaiah, mighty God, prince of peace, wonderful, counselor. In chapter six, it says, prior to coming to earth, he was high and lifted up. His glory filled not only the temple, but the whole earth. And listen, so listen, not only do these verses tell us and the record the historical record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say that he was willing to give up the glory of heaven and become a man. He was willing to come as a slave to man. A slave is not allowed to consider his own interests above the one he is serving. Jesus Christ made himself a slave, a servant of you. That's what the Bible says and teaches. But it even goes beyond that. Let's read these verses again, a couple of them. It says, let this mind, so again, if you are behaving in such a way that you get it, you get the Lamb of God gasped for breath on the cross for you, bled, was a bloody mess for you, and was, had the punishment of God the Father inflicted on him in the most furious fashion. Fiery indignation, the Bible would call it, was put on Jesus Christ for you. When you get it, this is who you become. That's what these verses are about. It says you'll have the mind, verse five, of Christ Jesus. And then skip down to verse seven. Who made himself of no reputation. So not only does, is Jesus give up his glory of heaven to become a man, not only does he uh, become a man, he becomes a servant, a slave of man, he also loses his reputation. And by that, it means he, he developed a bad reputation. He knew it was going to happen. So he has all these terms to him, like to, uh, attributed to him, wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, and what happens to him when he comes to the earth? He loses all that reputation. It says in, uh, it says in, um, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax, collect- uh, tax collectors and sinners. These, these are notor- these are thieves. These are people known to the crowd in Jerusalem as being like the worst of the worst, the drug dealers, the child molesters. That's who Jesus was. Look, he's a, uh, he's a glutton and a drunk. It also says, it gets even worse actually. In John chapter eight, verse 28, they just come up to Jesus and they say, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and a demon possessed? You know, it's try to, Try not to just look at, at this as like some story from the past. This really happened. This is like someone coming by and said, that's a cult in there, those people who are in there. It's a cult, the Calvary Chapel. Or, the, or, or someone coming by and saying, you know, that they're demon-possessed. These people worship the devil. I mean, Jesus gave up who he was 
to become a man, but not only a man, one with a terrible reputation. People actually believed that Jesus had demons. And what does it say there in verse six? He, he didn't consider it robbery, meaning he didn't consider it something to grasp onto. You know what I cling to really hard? My reputation. And this is saying, I need to let go and be willing to have people believe lies about me. Now, now that is really, really tough. I, I, I tell you, while I was launching off in prayer this morning uh, on a walk, just, just imagining scenarios of, of, of lies being spread and believed about me. But this is what Jesus did for you. Again, verse 27 says what? He says, let your behavior be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Meaning, if you get it, what he did for you, that he was slaughtered for you, that the fiery indignation, the wrath of God was poured out on him for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me for you? This is the mind that you will develop. An attitude of, man, if they're going to say lies about me, they're going to say lies about me. But he did all that for me. A A lot of lies. He was called demon possessed for me. You know, the one wonderful thing about Jesus is he was able to live with people saying lies about him. Why? Because he was in a nonstop dialogue with his father. He said, I always do the things the father tells me. He was like nonstop listening to God. And so the Bible says that there is no trial or temptation that God will not provide for you a way of escape. And the biggest way of escape is he's just talking to you about how much he loves you, how much you're a son, how much you're a daughter. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. There's one opinion that matters, and that is mine. If you get it, you'll have the mind of Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and... We can close out the service, and if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. I tell you what, just preparing this message and being told, you know, Steve, you not only need to preach your sermon, you need to live it. This, is a, this was really tough to work through. Being willing to be someone who loses his reputation. Me, a guy who I cling tightly to my reputation. It took me a long time to earn it. Jesus had his reputation for all eternity, and he let it go. He became of no reputation for you. I'd like for you to um, rise for this closing worship song.
And so we're up here praying. And if anything is stirred in your heart, do you like to pray about? This is how we end the messages. Again, this is it's not a, just a Bible study we do here on Sunday morning. We're not just checking off the box. We got further on in our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of a book. Now we're here to do business with the Lord. If you are here today and you have never in your life surrendered completely to the will of God saying to him I'm done casting you behind my back at any time I don't feel like doing what you tell me to do in other words you've never given your life to Jesus as your Lord and you haven't given it to him as your Savior giving your life to Jesus as your Savior means you believe he was slaughtered for Bible says he did all that because he loves you. He loves you with such intensity. He wants a relationship with you that starts now. Bible says it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Once a person says yes, come into my heart, it's sealed forever, for all eternity. No one can take it away. If you've never done that, I didn't do it until my early 20s. Come up. One of us can pray for you. If there's anything else that's stirred in your heart that you would like to pray about as we close out this message, come on up as we begin to worship. Father, in the name of Jesus, please finish the work that you've started.